The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Thank you and good morning, everybody. And today we have a star of business investigations on the show with us today. He is the 007 of all business investigations. I have dubbed him the $2.875 billion man. King of Forensics, Steve Lee. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Cindy. It's nice to be with you. It's really nice to have you, and it's an honor to find you to talk for an hour. Well, I know <laughs> I'm not easy to find, but, uh, but here oh, we are. You, you, you move very, very quickly. Well, this is uh, part, of the, part of the game these days, I'm afraid. You know, our, uh, <laughs> our firm is somewhat uh, branded by... Being kind of like uh, almost paratroopers or uh, you know, rapid deployment force, so we our clients expect us to show up quickly and to arrive when they need us. Uh, you know, we're often called for emergency situations. Yeah, it's a mil- it's a it's a military it's it's a military situation. Sometimes it, it, <laughs> it can be, which is kind of a strange uh, thing when you think about how that interacts with accounting and economics and things like that. But, well, no, it's strange in these times, not really, because when we think about what's in the news every day, it's got to be a military operation. Otherwise, things like this are going to keep on happening. But there are people like you out there that can prevent and intervene because you have the skills to do so, and we're glad to have you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And glad to Steve, do it. Steve, we want to ask you about what Steve Lee and Associates does. Well, Steve Lee and Associates is a forensic investigations firm. We specialize in high-stakes disputes, bet-the-company litigation. We deliver uh, a set of integrated services that are based on uh, some resources that we have, which are really smart people and high technology in the areas of accounting, economics, computer forensics, computer security, competitive intelligence, document management, and private investigations. Um, and uh, so this this positions us. It's like a platform, and we so the services we deliver range from, uh, for example, expert consulting work in a major antitrust matter, uh, which is the two point eight billion dollar uh, business that you alluded to uh, in your introduction to uh, things like pursuing fraudsters across the globe and recovering their ill-gotten assets. And I, I think uh, our agenda, uh, in this, particularly in this modern world, is very well aligned with our clients, who typically are, uh, you know, uh, typically tend to be larger firms, um, lit- uh, litigators and law firms that are engaged in very high-stakes uh, litigation, 
and when I say that our agenda is aligned, I mean that we uh, we're you know we're about winning. Unfortunately, uh, you know, in the litigation space and in the investigation space, you know, it's a win-lose arrangement. There's rarely a win-win. Uh, you know, typically uh, there are bad guys and good guys, uh, and uh, you know, you're you're, you're the you're the good guy too. I mean, I called you the king of forensics business and the double. Oh, seven of business investigations, but really, you really try to fight the war of good. Well, we do. I mean, we uh, and we really think of ourselves uh, in that way uh, as white hats in this uh, in these kind of uh, you know battles because to do this work um, and to do it really well, you know, you have to really have a passion for um, justice and for you know getting the kinds of uh, results for your clients that. just about you know, prevailing in terms of winning money, although that certainly is part of it. But it's really about being able to deliver, uh, to help deliver justice. Where and justice it, is well, done. you know what? Justice is, you know, can be more valuable than money sometimes, as we know when we watch the history in our world. But I, let me ask you a question for my listeners that may not know. Sure. What is forensic accounting? Okay, well, forensic accounting... Uh, let's break it down. I mean, forensic means literally suitable uh, for use in a court of law. And, of course, accounting in, in this context that we're talking about really refers to business, economic, and financial transactions of many, many kinds. I mean, this could be anywhere from, you know, the uh, you know, securities trades uh, like the kind that are so uh, uh, in the news with respect to Bernie Madoff to payroll inventories, uh, to relieving inventory, to literally selling electronic components over the counter. Any kind of transaction that produces an economic record of any kind. Uh, and of course, you know, one of the we most commonly think about accounting, I think, it, certainly for larger issues, we think about financial statements of companies. And that's certainly an example, but really uh, it covers a whole broad spectrum of, of every conceivable kind of economic transaction that might take place. Uh, you know, think about loans. Think about subprime mortgages. Think about securitization of subprime mortgages. All these things fall under the rubric of accounting, uh, accounting and economics here. And, of course, that's what we do, forensic accounting, forensic economics, and other kinds of forensic investigations. Yeah, we love that. We're going to get into those in a little bit. But when you were growing up, did you know you wanted to be a forensic accountant? What's the career track? I mean, uh, uh, no, when you I were didn't. kind of thinking about what you wanted to do when you grew up, what was it? Well, I really wanted to be an astronaut when I was growing up. And then uh, I think uh, at various other times I thought about possibly being a, uh, an advisor. And I, and I think to a certain extent that's what came true, was to be a trusted advisor, uh, because certainly that's part of the role that we play, you know, in these sort of critical situations. Remember, it's rare that somebody calls us because they're really happy about something. You know, we, we usually get the call because something's gone wrong. Uh, right. And that's, you know, that's right. the negative part of the business. Uh, but how do you become a forensic accountant or a forensic economist? Uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question because the over 40 crowd, and I have to admit that I belong in that bucket, um, the over-40 crowd backed into these jobs and these careers 
really, uh, depending on your perspective, Cindy, through happy or unhappy circumstances. I mean, I, for me, it was a happy circumstance. I backed into it through working in the bankruptcy space during the end uh, of uh, middle and end of the 1980s. But today, you have more options. I mean, young professionals can essentially serve an apprenticeship in a forensic accounting firm like ours, uh, or or in a big four accounting firm that has a forensic unit, or in some of the major consulting firms that also you know, engage in these kinds of activities. Uh, and there are even universities, uh, for example, UCLA uh, here in Southern California, uh, in their extension division, if you can imagine that, teaches an online course in forensic accounting, uh, which I understand is quite good. Well, I bet you it's becoming a little bit more popular, maybe. Well, these days, the phone rings a lot. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to call that popular or just, uh, or just sort of being in the right place in a tough time. Oh, exactly. It is the right place in a tough time, and I think that's for sure. And I want to make it clear to all of my listeners that you know that you are not simply a local operation. Why don't you talk about the offices that you have all over the world? Well, sure. We, um, I mean, we're we are headquartered in Los Angeles. Have offices in Chicago, New York, and London. Uh, and we have a network of affiliates uh, that operate uh, around the world uh, in about uh, 12 uh, countries. But uh, that, again, it's sort of a platform uh, that allows us to do a good deal of international work. And we do a lot of global work. Uh, it's the nature of this business now that it almost has to be global. It's very difficult to to conduct uh, major investigations on a local or even national basis, as you know, um, you know, there's for for many years now, everybody has known that uh, you know money moves very freely across borders. Uh, bad folks tend to, uh, or let's at least call them fraudsters, uh, white collar criminals, often move their monies offshore. Right. And in the last three years, we have operated in no less than thirty countries. Uh, Forming investigations of various kinds, often uh, asset searches and recovery operations. You, you find the assets that the asset protection attorneys try to advise <laughs> can be untouched, right? Well, that's that's right. Although I'll, I'll tell you, you know, usually, uh, uh, usually when somebody goes to you know an attorney who is specializing in asset protection, you know, that attorney is going to give them ethical advice. You would hope. Oh, well, I think, I think really 99% of the time you, know, you talk to an attorney and you say, well, I would like to, you know, shovel some money into Belize or Liechtenstein or, or Monaco, and I, I don't want the IRS to find it. He's going to say, sorry, I can't help you. We don't do that. And, uh, and he might even say, get out of my office. Oh, Only yeah. in the well, rare that's what we're that seeing most asset protection attorneys do. There's this legend out there that asset protection attorneys might be able to help you find a criminal haven like the ones you see in those James Bond movies, you know, with right. all of the stuff like buried underwater, but that's really all fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part it is, you know, it's, uh, um, it is, but, you know, a lot of, I mean, certainly most, in fact, most of the, of the major frauds that we deal with, you know, people, uh, the fraudsters of their own Volition, you know, without they don't need any advice from an asset protection attorney. You know, they'll they'll find ways to um, move assets offshore. You know, either through uh, bogus transactions or 
sometimes they'll be very bold and they'll simply wire money offshore, uh, you know, and, and they'll sort of move it through a series of accounts in order to get it to a place that they think uh, it can't be found. And frankly, that is the new myth, is that if you move this stuff offshore, it can't be found. And, and uh, you know, newsflash for them, we usually can find it. Well, beware. Steve Lee and Associates can track it down. Well, listen, in this segment, we have another couple of minutes, so I don't want to go too deeply into the famous $2.875 billion settlement. But, you know, it's going, you're going to become legendary for your involvement in that case with Discovery Cards because it was something that was going on for, you know, quite some time, and it seems to me that you were one of the heroes that was able to bring it to settlement, and I'm very excited to talk to you more about that in the next segment, which we'll dedicate the entire 12 minutes to. Are you game? I'm game. Oh, no, I'm excited to listen. Stand by with Steve Lee. This is the James Bond of business forensics, and as you can see, it's very exciting. Stand by and don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Owen Hodge Show. Are you ready for some football? Well, here it comes. The Owen Hodge Show is bringing you the funniest hour in sports talk radio. This action-packed show is hosted by the outspoken fullback, Big Hodge, and the knowledgeable defensive back, Odie. This show will focus on the NFL, but touch on all things sports. Owen Hodge will provide you with a true player's perspective that'll give you insight, make you think, and definitely make you laugh. Owen Hodge have accumulated six championship rings, so obviously they know things. Check out the Owen Hodge Show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Sports Network. The Owen Hodge Show. Is there truly a lesson in every situation? Can you learn from another person's experiences or are lessons learned when they only happen to you? Dave Felzer, number one national and number one international best-selling author, challenges listeners to stand tall, to be accountable no matter what the setbacks, and to recommit to enhancing their lives as well as assisting others around them. Listen to The Dave Pelzer Show every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Radio Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Oh, my God. 
Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. And we're back with Steve Lee, the $2.8 billion man. And he is the man that goes around the world and he, well, he settles big stuff. <laughs> How's that? Settles- well, with with help from some very good lawyers. Very good lawyers, very good people from your investigations unit. I mean, you have built yourself a fine team for a guy that just started as in the forensic accounting business, right? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty impressive with your offices all around the world and the gigs that you do all over the place. And later on, we're going to get to you know some specifics and some of the other kinds of um, investigations that you do that you are at liberty to talk about. Right now, let's talk about the big one, Steve. It's the big one. It's the one that you know is going to resonate because most people are going to, will have read about the Discovery Cards dispute, you know, in the press because it's been covered in the media for, right. you know, some years. You know, tell us about the settlement. Tell us, you know, Tell me, tell us about your win. Yes, brag about the money again. Let, let us all hear. Okay. Well, let me set it up for you a little bit. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice, so the, the Uncle Sam, the federal government, brought suit against the big credit card associations, uh, Visa and Mastercard, for restraint of trade. Well, it's an antitrust issue uh, where they allege that those organizations engaged in unfair practices against their competitors. And, of course, their only real competitors are Discover Card and American Express. And the U.S. Department of Justice won that case, uh, but all that really meant was that MasterCard and Visa were found uh, guilty and had to consent to cease the anti-competitive behavior. What followed that was a civil lawsuit for damages that was brought by both Discover Card and American Express against Visa and MasterCard seeking damages. Of course, the why seek damages? Well, the theory is is that if Visa and MasterCard engaged in anti-competitive practices over a, a long period of time uh, and that these were unlawful and illegal, that it must have caused economic harm the other competitors. And so I came into play in, in this uh, scenario in this damages suit against, uh, against Visa and MasterCard. And, you know, it, I don't want to get into too much detail, but, but your listeners probably need to understand that what happened was Visa and MasterCard promulgated rules. And the rules said no member bank of their association could ever issue a card, uh, like the kind of cards that we all have in our wallets, uh, entirely too many, by the way, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with, with too many balances on them. Uh, but none of these member banks could ever issue a card that said Discover or American Express on it. Couldn't, couldn't have anything to do with uh, Discover Card or American Express. So it kind of cut off Discover Card and American Express from the regular distribution channel in that in that business. And when I say member banks, I'm not talking about your local community bank, although that they're included. We're talking about Citibank, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, 
all the big names that you know, all the big issuers of credit cards. So even a layman would say, well, gee, that looks like, you know, um, you know, stopping competition to me, interfering with healthy business competition, right? Right. Or, you know, and, and, the, and the opposing point of view would be, well, you know, this is our distribution channel. These are our banks, you know, so we can, we can decide what, what they can or, or cannot do. And that was Visa's and MasterCard's position. The problem for them is that the United States Department of Justice vehemently disagreed with them. And, and so it turned out that, right, that, you know, that Discover Card and American Express were right, and perhaps the common man was right, because the common man, man on the street, you know, a reasonable person says, well, wait a minute, you know, isn't more competition better? Wouldn't it be better if there were more offerings uh, that the other brands uh, could, could uh, provide? And wouldn't I get maybe a cheaper rate? Wouldn't I get perhaps dinged less for penalty fees and late payments and, you know, all of these other things that are now very much in the news and, and which the you know, Obama administration has uh, gone after. Uh, you know, we all know that uh, around, around January uh, next year, uh, there are going to be some significant changes, uh, you know, in the, in the credit card space as a lot of that stuff goes away. Right, right. Well, it all case, started with the we Rose were, Garden ceremony, didn't it? Right, that's right. And uh, and of course, you know, this is it, it's and there's a lot of broader issues here, as you know, Cindy. I mean, um, you know, we've already taken the hit on subprime mortgages. Uh, we haven't yet, as an as a as an economy, recognized or absorbed the damage that's going to arise in the in the other big consumer finance space, which is credit cards, but but perhaps that's another show. Uh, back, back to the dispute, just for a moment. Our job was we were forensic advisors and litigation consultants to Discover Card and to Morgan Stanley. And the reason Morgan Stanley was that up until very recently, Discover Card was owned by Morgan Stanley, uh, the big uh, the big investment bank. Right. Um, now, what that really means is that we looked at a great deal of historical information about the period during which Discover was damaged. We combined that with our knowledge of the consumer finance business and the consumer debt landscape and with the competitive intelligence that we had gathered on the card industry during that time, and we came up with assessments of damages theories. And, and let, me, let me put that in a more simple way. We helped them figure out what would have happened but for these anti-competitive practices of Visa and MasterCard. And that's kind of how you come to a number. You know, this right. is how much we were hurt by what you did. Equally importantly, and, and maybe even more importantly, you know, in these kinds of, of uh, matters, they are tremendously dependent on experts. In other words, experts are the people who are giving most of the testimony. It's the experts' arguments that... Uh, presumably sway the judge in her decision. And they, they uh, Visa particularly hired some very high-end uh, experts uh, to give their, their uh, opinions. And our job was to gut those opinions, you know, was to take them apart, uh, break them down, make sure they couldn't stand up uh, in a deposition or a courtroom, which are the, the venues for giving this testimony. Which you're expert in, too, because you have as one of your capabilities testimony, you know. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's, 
you know, one of the things that you are very good at. Yes, and, and um, you know, in this case, we were able to just uh, completely gut their, their testimony, and that really left... Um, that left the card associations with very little in the way of argument that would have been persuasive to the judge, and and that is so. So that's why I was saying that this is. I think that was one of our more important contributions because I think that's one of the major things, uh, major sort of milestones in the case that led to the card associations, particularly Visa, coming forward and wanting to settle. Uh, and that happened literally, you know, the day before. Uh, we were going to trial. So did you anticipate that because of how well things were going in the um, challenge testimony? Frankly, yes. Uh, we did anticipate that, um, you know, that, that with their case uh, you know, weakened uh, from our perspective, that, uh, the, you know, that really tends to motivate you know, the other side, you know, when, they're, when the merits of their case start to go away and they don't have good arguments anymore, that, that's a big motivation to come to the table and say, okay, let's, let's settle this before we make a, a huge public display of it in a courtroom and incur all the additional costs. Uh, and, of course, the costs associated in this case were, you know, were staggering. But I would imagine, you know, this is just a light question and you don't have to answer it, but approximately... How many hours did Steve Lee and Associates have to work through this to get to the settlement point? Well, let me uh, let me put it another way. We worked we worked at this case for three years, right? And and there were several people working on it. Now, of course, they weren't working on it, you know, every hour of every day. But you, you can imagine that we're talking about thousands of hours. Sure. And of course, there were. Uh, you know, a significant number of, ter- of attorneys on both sides who were also working, uh, you know, long and hard. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, this, this, this becomes these become very, you know, expensive uh, processes, and um, and that's not atypical of what we what, you know, when, when you first asked me what we did, and I told you, I, I sort of used a couple of phrases, high stakes litigation, bet the company disputes. It's not atypical in those kinds of situations that it gets pretty expensive because usually there's either huge amounts of money on the line or the very existence of, of an enterprise may be on the line. You know, this, this is about fighting for somebody's life as a, as a business. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's just a huge, huge amount of money. The um, the two plaintiffs were Discover American Express. Uh, you know, Visa settled with American Express for about $2.2 billion. Uh, MasterCard settled with them for about $1.8 billion. And then we got the big number, you know, the $2.8 billion settlement uh, from Visa to Discover Card. So all in all, you know, certainly very large uh, dollars. Um, and what's really impressive, when you think about uh, the card associations, is that they can pay that kind of damages. You know, they can pay it, you know, granted, over a period of time, they, but they pay it in cash, uh, and they can do that and still be uh, strong operating businesses, which is a well, because idea of how much about, money is in the card business. I mean, they just have, they're in the high-stakes business. I mean, like you have to think about all of the money that, you know, under their umbrellas, right? Right. 
So, I mean, you know, I guess they could handle it. I think so. Well, you know, you have to remember what Dillinger said, right? It's when he was asked why he robbed banks, he retorted that that was where the money was. And, and certainly, uh, at least up until recently, that seems to be true. No, I guess that's that's very, very, that's very true. Well, do you think that people are going to, people, companies, after the precedence of this case, are they going to rethink restraint of trade, you know, and attempt to limit competition because of the high-stakes nature of this case? And we're going to have to go into the next segment before you really answer that. But you could give a short answer. Well, I think, I think yes. Uh, I, I do think that they're going to have to rethink, uh, you know, their policies and, and, uh, and business activities with respect to this kind of result. And also, you know, we're living in a, in a time when uh, you know, the administration uh, in Washington and the Congress, I think, are much more friendly to regulation than they were before. Uh, I think that's I think that's definitely part of it. Well, listen, we have to take another commercial break. We will pick up where we are. So stay Talk tuned. To you soon. Don't you move. Stand by. Cool. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn Saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you. Every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back. We're back with Steve Lee, Steve Lee and Associates, and we're talking about high-stakes forensics investigations because he is the king of forensics business and other related kinds of investigations. And are you having fun, Steve? I am. You're having fun. Good. I left the last segment talking about whether or not precedents might change because of the settlement, the antitrust settlement, scouter cards. Um, and you were finishing up. Did you have anything to add? Well, not really, just that uh, you know, we sort of left off on the note that the regulatory environment is changing uh, you know, due to political considerations you know, that are well above and beyond this particular case. So I, so I think that one can just expect to see uh, a lot more activism on the part of uh, the Department of Justice and uh, a lot more contemplation of damage suits of this kind uh, when there is uh, an antitrust issue, uh, and I think that uh, you know certainly companies need to, uh, need to need to keep that in mind as they go I forward. Think that's definitely true. Err on the side of caution. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, nobody. You know, it's it's hard to explain to your shareholders uh, a two or three or four or seven billion dollar uh, set of settlements. Right, right, no, exactly right. Um, well, I want to. We talked a little bit before about Bernie Madoff, yeah. and it's in your capabilities at Steve Lee and Associates that you've had experience in, in Ponzi type schemes. So, the, when the word hit the news and everybody learned what it was, you certainly knew what it was. So, the question is, with your experience, um, you know, could this, could there have been intervention? Before you know, it all exploded with Bernie Madoff. It seemed that he was able to, you know, carry it for a very, very long time by moving a little bit of everybody's money, which ended up to be a lot of money, in places right. where it couldn't be found. Right. Right. So, well, there's no, there's no question that you know they they carried off a very long term um, Ponzi scheme and. And, uh, you know, I guess from a fraudster's perspective, they did it very well. Uh, and uh, that is not atypical. I mean, I think one of, the, one of the interesting things about a lot of the coverage of the Madoff incident is that it has been treated as a one-off, as a exception, uh, and it's not. Uh, no, it probably happens all the time, huh? It happens all the time. Um, I mean, the unusual thing about the Madoff matter, I think, is status of his clients and the sheer scale uh, of, of the deception, um, you know, and the size of the collective losses. But there are, there are continuously and have been continuously Ponzi schemes uh, that are very similar to this that have been going on, and which frankly is all the more reason why, yes, the answer is yes. There could have been intervention. There should have been intervention. There was some weak intervention. Uh, I, my recollection is that I think they were, I think Madoff was sanctioned to the tune of about $7,000, which I, I think in the big scheme of things probably didn't hurt very much for some compliance issues, uh, you know, by the, uh, by the securities regulators. But 
but yes, I mean, let's let's think in terms of, um, you know, what were the indicators? What should have brought people's attention to, to Madoff? And I think you can go back to 2001. Uh, there was an article written in Barron's, which, as you know, is a, a you know financial a trade paper, a if you will, one. like the yeah, very respected, like the Wall Street Journal. Um, perhaps a little bit more conservative. Uh, but uh, they wrote at the time about, you know, Madoff's um, purported way of making money, which was off of commissions. And for those listeners who don't know, uh, hedge funds typically uh, make their money by charging 1% of the assets under management annually plus 20% of the profits. Right. Uh, you know, called the 120 or 220 rule. And you got to realize that even if you went back to 2001, uh, Madoff had about $6 billion in the fund. Uh, they were purportedly generating 15% annual rate of return. And it, so if you do the math, that would be $240 million in fees that Madoff left on the table that they didn't take because they proudly said, look, all we're doing is, you know, is making a turn on commissions. And I, I guess my point here, Cindy, is when it sounds too good to be true, it is. What possible reason would somebody have for leaving a quarter of a billion dollars in fees on the table when you are already doing better than anybody else, any peer or anybody else in the industry? It well, just kind of a red flag. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of very that's kind of a very low level kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of, if you want, if you will, red flags. But there are other things that should have alerted people, uh, particularly in combination with that, that, you know, that this fund had such highly centralized family control among the Madoffs, that there wasn't um, the kind of visibility into their financial structure that there, there should have been. You know, there was a tremendous degree of secrecy around these uh, feeder funds that brought a lot of the... Uh, capital into, into Madoff securities, and you, you have to ask yourself why. I mean, what is it, what is the reason for the secrecy? There shouldn't be any secrecy. God, we should um, do a movie. Uh, we should write a script or a screenplay for a movie that tells the Madoff story in a fictional way, and the guy that plays you is the one that busts them early on. Wouldn't it be great to rewrite history that way? <laughs> you, you know, what's interesting is the guy who who is given credit for really surfacing this fraud uh, is a uh, is a fellow who's a certified fraud examiner, and um, I will tell you that three of the three of the professionals in this firm are also certified fraud examiners, uh, and it's it's a uh, you know, it's a professional distinction that um, that's of some value and and it's important in these kinds of matters. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that it was a CFE who, who did this, you know, who really brought it to the surface. You know, and, and all the things I'm describing are things that he noticed. You know, he, he couldn't understand how a company that, you know, that supposedly had a simple trading strategy, right, right. Well, how come nobody else could do it? How come it couldn't be repeated or reversed engineered if it was that simple? Uh, you know, Right. No. Well, here's a question because, and this kind of goes more into your, you know, your investigations 
division and just part of what you have to know is, you know, know the psychology of a white-collar fraudster, right? I mean, you you have to understand these characters. So do you think that Bertie Madoff was just in denial and, you know, just psychologically detached and just didn't know what the consequences could have been for many years and just sort of hid in his golden castle and yachts and jets with Ruth and, you know, just kind of really never thought that there might be a consequence? No, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, and, uh, you know, call me a cynic and also take into consideration the fact that I've never met Mr. Madoff never had the chance to interview him, so I'm I'm speaking speculatively based only on what I've read and and learned about the case. Uh, so no, this is not based on any direct contact uh, with this matter. But I I would say, from my perspective and my experience working on a number of these kinds of schemes, frankly, a number of schemes in the securities business like this. Uh, no, I don't see any way that he was in denial. Uh, I think he knew what he was doing. Uh, I think it was well planned out, well executed, uh, that he understood very well uh, where he could get, where he could have gotten caught, um, and took many, many steps, you know, with respect to auditors and regulators, knowing how they worked to make sure he wasn't caught. Um, you know, did did a number of things in the reporting chain uh, and uh, you know to his customers that that helped to cover their tracks for example using paper statements rather than giving them an interface uh, into the company's trading platform right right uh, so no Cindy I, I think he knew what he was doing and I, I even have my theory about why the whole why he made disclosures when he did and in the way he did because I think that it um, and again, this is speculation, but remember that, that the, the story is is that he uh, fessed up to his sons. No, I do. Oh, I remember the story. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a very interesting holiday season this year. <laughs> right. So, so all one has to do, I mean, I can talk about it if you want, but all one has to do is really think about why would you do it that way? Yeah, no, exactly. What, well, what's, I mean, what's in it for all of them to have it happen that way? And I think that leads you to, uh, frankly, an understanding of his mindset and what the purpose of uh, making the disclosures at the time he did was. And that was, I think, to protect assets and to protect family members and to certainly give the sons a, if you will, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, exactly right. And what's great about Steve Lee and Associates is that people should know that you're kind of a Madoff buster. Well, yes. I'd like to think we are. Thank you. You know, I come up with these like little branding terms, you know, yes. <laughs> part of what I do. Well, we're coming to the end of this segment, and I promised you, Steve, that in the next segment, we're going to talk about the other divisions that fall under the Steve Lee and Associates umbrella, and there are quite a few of them. And the thing that's amazing about, you know, what you do and what your company does is that, um, you know, you're principally forensics. Um, you know, that's what your flagship business is. And, but you seem to have branched out into other fascinating areas, you know, spy type stuff. And I want my listeners to stay tuned, stay on, and listen to all of that in just two minutes. So stand by more with Steve Lee. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. We some hard hitters, we some hard hitters. Hard Hitting Radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard Hitting Radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not. But she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back with Stars of Forensics and Stars of Investigations, and that's Steve Lee from Steve Lee and Associates. And, Steve, I want to talk about the other stuff that you have under the Steve Lee and Associates umbrella, and I know that you get very excited when you talk about the spy-like things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, sure. Um, you know, we, uh, I guess uh, the way to talk about this is that under our umbrella, you know, we we provide, uh, you know, sort of beyond the, uh, the sort of incredibly fascinating world of accounting, which I know everybody gets excited about, we also provide uh, essentially private intelligence agency services, corporate investigations, private investigations, computer forensics, digital network security consulting, special ops, global asset search and recovery, 
data remediation work, loan workouts, special asset situations, and bankruptcy uh, work. So uh, what does all that translate into sort of, um, you know, in terms of the things we're actually doing as a practical matter? Think about surveillance, counter-surveillance, defeating eavesdropping, intelligence gathering, counterintelligence work, uh, stings, preventing the threat, uh, theft excuse me, of intellectual property, uh, identifying misappropriated assets. We talked about you know, recovering offshore assets, finding uh, witnesses and other white-collar criminals who flee jurisdictions, including uh, fleeing the United States. And you find them, you track them down. Uh, right. <laughs> Watch we track out. them down, we intercept them. Now, you know, remember, we do all this in the context of completely complying, not only with U.S. law, but also the laws in whatever jurisdictions that our operatives may be, uh, where they may be situated and doing their work. And so, you know, we're, we're, you know, this isn't like law enforcement. We do this with one hand tied behind our back. So we have to be, you know, our folks have to be exceptionally clever, uh, exceptionally ethical, operate with the highest degree of integrity, and make no mistakes. Right, that's precision. It's precision it like, it the, like the sword. Right. I mean, it's precision work. And that's how we, as I think you know, you know, we, that's how we view ourselves. We view ourselves not so much as warriors, but as the people who, you know, hone, shape, and give point to the instruments that, you know, that the warriors, the lawyers, and, and uh, others use to you know, to um, to prosecute their cases and to you know do right by their clients. Is there any kind of is there an example of one of these spy-like operations that you could talk about or even fictionalize? Because again, I know what you do can be sensitive and has to be confidential. But is there anything right. that you could share that might be exciting? Well, there's a couple that I think I could talk about. You know, without using names, okay. if that's okay. Uh, that's Probably the only way we can really talk about them. Well, but, that's okay. Fiction. But we, uh, you know, here's a couple that you might find, you know, entertaining. Um, we had a, a pretty significant white collar crime that was committed. It was um, a bank fraud where the the bad guys defrauded a bank group out of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, the CFO of the company that uh, that did this defrauding uh, fled the country and fled to. Uh, Asian country, and I think, you know, was pretty much under the presumption that, um, you know, once he had done that, that he was out of the reach of anybody, and um, within about two weeks, we knew that he was living um, in the back room of his mother's apartment in this foreign capital. Uh, by that time, we knew his daily habits. Uh, we knew that he took a walk through a park, you know, every day at an approximate hour, and we had a operative there uh, jogging along the same path that he was going to and the, uh, if you can picture this you know it's a nice sunny morning and the fellow's walking along figuring he's you know he's left everything behind and somebody runs up alongside of him and says uh, you know hey Terrence we need to talk about this case because we need some testimony from you. And, uh, you know, you get a little accent when you say that. I'm told, I'm told that he, uh, I'm told that he turned an interesting shade of gray when that happened. Uh, I'm not sure. That, not I'm that sure. the purpose was to harm him, but you know, the idea is: look, you know, you, you can run, but you 
can't hide. We know where you are. We can find you. Uh, you know, we need your cooperation. Um, and in this particular case, you know, he wasn't going to be prosecuted. I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't sort of a key figure uh, among bad guys. Uh, you know, in another matter, we uh, we were hired to essentially test and defeat the security on a new gaming uh, uh, place. <laughs> let me let me just say it that way. I can't a gaming say, place. I think I think a gaming place is just it's it's good. Everybody knows what you mean. <laughs> right, and I, I can't really say where, but right. uh, but they were. You know they were pretty convinced that they had a you know an airtight uh, airtight system. Um, the um, the following morning, we were able to deliver to them a copy of the uh, of the gaming places gaming place manager's hard drive to him with all of his files, all of his passwords, everything. Um, we took them down to their own data room and showed them where one of our guys had taped his card inside the inside one of their computers, you know, in their in their central uh, uh, you know central IT control area. So uh, you know that's kind of a that's kind of a spy like stuff. Oh, know, it's totally spy like, and we have a few more minutes, so I want to ask you: you are beginning to do work in the area of green investigations, and yes. You know, having a little bit too much paper on your plate, no pun intended, huh? <laughs> That's right. And we're really, we are really, really excited about this. Uh, you remember at the top I said, you know, that most of what we did, there's no win-win. Well, this is a win-win. Well, see, um, there you go. I knew that there would be a win-win somewhere, yeah, right? This is, and this is really very exciting stuff. I mean, what we've realized is that we could combine a lot of the a lot of the, the things that we've done over the years into something really, really constructive. Look, you know, these huge uh, companies that we work for, uh, you know, giant insurance companies, huge banks, uh, you know, you name it, they typically are very large. They've been around for a long time. Imagine the records that they keep. Uh, and we're talking about millions of boxes of paper, thousands of pallets of microfiche, millions of backup tapes, uh, metric tons of old disk platters and things like oh, this. God. These things are sitting in storage. Um, because of our expertise in computer forensics, uh, in the discovery and electronic discovery process that's associated with litigation, we've come up with some techniques for being able to fairly quickly, I say fairly quickly, go through this material and determine what doesn't need to be retained. In other words, what doesn't conform to their litigation holds and preservation requirements and retention policies, and then get rid of it. But the great thing is getting rid of it means, particularly with paper, recycling. And so uh, I'll give you one example because I think this really uh, illustrates it. We, we have one matter where we're really talking about, picture this, picture 10 10-story 10 buildings made of paper. They're 100 feet on a side. So wow, we're talking wow. about an unbelievable amount of stuff that's going to be recycled. That's almost 100 million pounds of paper. It's somewhere between a half and a full square mile, I'm told, of an Amazon rainforest. And so... Oh, uh, the, the, so You're saving the forest. And Steve, I have to cut you off because we're coming to the end of our show. Well, that's okay. It's. I think we're ending on a positive note. We're ending on a win-win note, and That's you're right. saving and you're and you're saving the Amazon. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
one half square mile at a time. One half square mile at a time. And I, listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us this hour. I'm sure you'll agree that it goes very fast. And we have to have you on again because you are just, you are just a tower of information. Steve Lee, well, Steve Lee and Associates, thank you so much and have a great day. Glad to be with you. All right. You take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.